this morning, I'm, I don't have much to say, honestly. I, I thought about my message and what, I, what the Lord has put in my heart for us for today is one of those things that you can't add to it. And you can't really add to the Bible, bottom line. But sometimes there's, a, there's like a, a, a drive to make the Bible look better or sound better or preach better. But all I want to do is just introduce us to Jesus again. It's literally all I want to do today. And I want to say this morning that what Jesus has done is the very reason that we have the ability to stand ground. And as we rediscover that today, I pray that you would leave this, this room today with a, a deep-founded awareness of what he's done, of what the cross has paid for, of what he's declared, of what he said. Because if we get this again this morning, and maybe for you, you get it for the first time in its fullness, maybe you have not met Jesus yet this morning and it will be your very first time, but maybe you've been, been around the block so many times, especially for you this morning. Can we take a step back and say, Lord, forgive us if there's any familiarity when we think about your gospel in us. May we get to a place where we are filled with wonder again of what you've done and what you've declared and what you've already said. Because I think so many of us walk through our Christian walk and we think we still have to contend for things. But according to Jesus, it has been fulfilled. That's the message this morning. It has been fulfilled. Jesus has done it. While we were praying this morning, I saw an image of how we just got, got behind Jesus, behind his back and just walking through him. And the invitation this morning is to get into the slipstream of what Jesus already has done. Can we live there knowing that he is the breaker that breaks the way? He is the one that's overcome. He is the one that's chased evil out of our lives. And if we get this this morning, then standing ground wouldn't be a series that we've got to repeat every now and again. Because we are people that know that Jesus has done it all and it has been fulfilled. What has been fulfilled? That's what I'm hoping to answer this morning. What has been fulfilled? Luke chapter 4. It's an amazing moment. Jesus goes to the synagogue. This is just as his public ministry is starting after he was tempted by the enemy. And we spoke about that last week and how he said, it is also written, think through your breakthrough, apply the fullness of the word and not just parts of it. And then his ministry begins and this is how it begins. He walks into the synagogue on a Saturday afternoon where the people gather to read the scrolls and the written word of God to his people up to that point. And as he walks in, he takes a scroll from the temple attendant and he opens it up and then he reads Isaiah 61. And then after he's read it, and we're gonna read it together in a minute, he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. So he spoke the written word in that moment. He gave it back, he sat down and all the eyes of the people were on him. And then he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, it has been fulfilled. And it arrested my heart this week. I'm like, Lord, is, is there something that we're missing if we're still waiting for a fulfillment of scripture? If Jesus has said, today, it is the year of the Lord's favor. And it has been since that moment. Today, 
he said back then, I am proclaiming liberty and freedom to those who are in captivity. And since then, it is still that very day. The fulfillment has come through Jesus. It is available to us. So this morning, I want to say, today in the hearing of this again, it has been fulfilled. And the question that comes to heart is, have we taken it? Have we grabbed hold of what he has fulfilled for us to walk in? Let's read together what has been fulfilled. Isaiah 61, we're only going to read the first three verses. You can read on the screen. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is Jesus, and this is what he read in Luke 4. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Lord Jesus, as we look at these words and what you have fulfilled and consequently, Lord, how you have mandated us as your church to live out these words, I pray that you would preach to every heart here and Holy Spirit, that you would through your anointing break open this revelation to us once more of what exactly is fulfilled. May we leave you fulfilled knowing, Lord, that our standing ground is in the fulfillment of this prophecy. Jesus, that you have done it. And therefore, we can be people who stand our ground, even amidst our most difficult moments. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, this is profound, guys. This is what Jesus says is fulfilled. There's good news to the poor. There's a proclamation of liberty to those who feel bound. We sang it this morning. When brokenness binds us, your freedom surrounds us. Isn't that profound? Think about that lyric that we sang this morning. There's binding up of, up of broken hearts. There's an opening of a prison. There's a proclamation of God's favor. Again, Jesus said today this is fulfilled 2,000 years ago. And that still resounds today. It is fulfilled. There's comfort to those who mourn. Maybe you have been mourning for a long season you've been standing your ground but there's comfort there's a beautiful headdress instead of ashes there's oil of gladness instead of mourning there's a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit and you can be an oak of righteousness planted by the Lord so this is what Jesus has fulfilled and we're going to look look at these things and we're going to just ask him again to bring to us the wonder and the revelation of what is fulfilled over our lives. First of all, we see Jesus, the preacher of good news. Jesus who steps into the world that was probably in a chaotic sense of expectation for the Messiah. And 700 years later, this prophecy is fulfilled when he steps into his ministry. And he says, today I bring to you good news. I proclaim good news. I'm the bringer of good news. First of all, we see Jesus, the very first person preaching the very own good news of himself and the gospel. And since then, it has been resounding ever since. I love how the Lord led Anthony just now to say, God, that you would take 
our very sinful natures and our carnality and change it around so that we can be with you like today. That's the, the gospel of good news that Jesus first brought and he preached. And who did he preach it to? He preached it to the poor. And I believe this scripture encapsulates, yes, those who are practically poor, but I believe it more so encapsulates those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. He steps into a world where people were waiting for a savior, for a Messiah, and he says, I'm bringing you the good news. If you are poor in spirit, you are blessed. The good news of my gospel has arrived. And in our standing ground journey, I've got to ask a question, to what news are you listening? Did you know that you can get a phone call with bad news and that the good news of Jesus and the gospel can still overwrite that? Did you know that you can live in a world where you look at your phone and read the news and it's generally just terribly bad? But 2,000 years again, there's a good news that was brought to us that is still as powerful, still as effective, still set captives free, still moves us from mourning to praise, still changes our faint spirit to people who could rise up and actually praise him. That's the good news that Jesus preaches to our heart and has been for 2,000 years. Maybe for the 30 years that you've been a Christian, you know it's there, but you've just got to start hearing Jesus preach the good news to you again. That because of the cross, there's a heaven. And in that heaven, there's going to be no more pain, no more tears, no more mourning, no more suffering. So my people, stand ground. That is the good news of what I've brought to you. Secondly, we see Jesus, the healer of the brokenhearted. There's profound power when the word of the gospel and the practice of the gospel comes together. Jesus doesn't just step into our life and say, here's good news, you can be saved, and now it's all up to you. He then gets closer and says, but let me get into your life and put my, heart, my hands around your heart and bind up those spaces that are broken. That's what he is saying. He's binding up the brokenhearted. You know what's amazing about brokenness? It's an opportunity for you to experience the hands of Jesus inside of you. So when that moment of brokenness come and life is just so hard and so difficult, Jesus says, I've preached the good news, but now I want to come and do it. And Anthony, if you would allow me, I want to just put my hands inside of you and bind up those spaces. It feels like it's just life running out of it. Those broken parts, I want to come and bind up back together again. 2,000 years, I'm going to say this the whole morning long, Jesus said, this is fulfilled. Are we living with that revelation? Are we living with that revelation that you can go to Christ today and if there's places in your heart that is so stickened and broken that he can come with his gentle hands of healing and bind it up? Are you living with that revelation? That's what's available. That's what he gave his life for. And he's waiting for a church, for a people that would say, God, we want to live in the full revelation of what you have fulfilled. Because it's living in that space that we then become the little anointed ones, the little, the little Christ that goes with this very same message into our world. So some of us just need to maybe just allow Jesus to come and touch those broken places and bind it up together again. Jesus heals the broken. Then he proclaims, and he proclaims two things, freedom and favor. Jesus has proclaimed and said that freedom has come. 
It's available. I've done it. I've paid for it at the cross. And last week we spoke about how we can get out of our freedom by releasing ourselves of the stuff that's holding us back. David, John, can you quickly come join me? Hey, look, he's bold. He's getting right up on the stage. Well done. Usually people like, they stand there. Let's give him a hand. <laughs> Here's 50 rand that I want to give to you because I'd really like to. I want you to take this 50 rand so that it becomes yours. And Jesus has done this for all of us. He says, I've given you freedom. I want you to take it. I want you to have it. I want you to live in a free gift. This is lunch, by the way. I don't know what your mom is planning, but this is your lunch. You can get a Burger King on the way back. But I want you to live in the freedom that I've given for you. I've come and I've proclaimed it. I've preached it. I'm getting into your life. I'm binding up your broken hearts. Will you take the freedom that I have for you? Will you start living in it? Can you see what's happening? Can you take this 50 rand that I'm giving to you? Because I want you to have it. It's up to you whether you want to take it or not. There's a 50 rand, my friend. I'm saying it once more. It's yours. Do you want to take it or not? Oh, there we go. Can we give him a hand? But you see how we live. Sure, Jesus. I'm a little, can I have this? Yes, you can. Because I proclaimed freedom. I've brought it. I've paid for it with my blood. Can just take it. But some of us just stand back. And we hope that one day in the service, there will be that moment where things just change. And Jesus has been saying for 2,000 years, come unto me. I will give you freedom and liberty. That's really yours. You can really have it. You see, he's still doubting. Can I now take it? But it's such a simple illustration, but it, it, it mirrors our hearts because so many of us live there. Maybe you've been disappointed by your parents, by someone that made a promise to you. Maybe you've been disappointed by a wrong theology. Maybe someone has once prayed for you and said, put it on Facebook. This is what's going to happen. And it didn't happen. It's happened to me and Elena before. Someone said, you can put it on Facebook. We didn't put it on Facebook because I'm not on Facebook. And I didn't allow her to put it on Facebook. <laughs> but you see, there was still a person. It wasn't Jesus. But Jesus has the final word. And his final word is freedom and favor. And we've got to ask ourselves this morning, are we taking it? Have you taken it? And do you take it every day? Because maybe life has given you a whole lot of low blows and it's really tough and you just feel like you can't get up. But Jesus stands every day and says, my word is fulfilled. Freedom and favor. Do you want to live in it? It's available to you. Here it is for the taking. And we sometimes just stand and wait until we like, oh, the penny drops. I can actually have this money. And then the idea of favor, which just if you look at the word, it just says it's the accepted age of the Lord. It's the age of delight, the age of pleasure, the age of being accepted by the Father because of Jesus. That's what he brought. He said, guys, I've got delight for you. I've got joy for you. I've got festivities for you in this life. I'm proclaiming it. That has come. It is fulfilled. And I look at the church and I'm like, Lord, can we as a church, and I'm not saying the church, just globally, can we as a church just live in that delight again of what you've done and what you've fulfilled? 
And yes, we are contending and we're taking ground and we do it forcefully because it's for the kingdom and all of that. But when I study these first people in, in the first church, they really lived in that delight all along. They just had that freedom. Even though they might be thrown into boiling oil, they were like, Jesus is amazing because we're free. We're completely free. Even though they might be thrown in a, in a Roman prison, they were, just, they were free. They lived in that favor and that freedom that Jesus had for them. They took the 50 bucks and they applied it and they had a good lunch. The other thing that Jesus does in this scripture and which he says he fulfills, he's the opener of the prison. Here's the key. Jesus opened the prison. Have you walked through the door? Doesn't say he's the one that takes us out of the prison. He's the one that gives us an open invitation. I'm opening the prison door. And he stands at the gate of the door of the prison and he still says, come out, you're free. Step into my favor. And for some of us, we're just stuck inside the prison and we just remain there. And we haven't got up and walked into the freedom that he has for us. Yes, Pierre, but I've done terrible things. I've sinned. That's okay, me too. But I don't walk back into the prison and bind myself again. I go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, you've opened the prison door. And, and I should be back in there, but you've done it. And you say that if I come to you and I confess and I turn back to you, I can remain on the outside of the prison. So please, Jesus, can I ask once more that you will allow me to be free of this? And I confess it. He says, the door is open. It stays open. I've made it open and it remains open. But some of us go right back into the prison cell. And then we live there. You know, the hardest person to forgive is yourself. May we not be prideful in thinking that if God forgives us, that's great. But we cannot forgive ourselves. It puts us in a position of pride. Thinking that we are better than God, that we cannot even forgive ourselves. So maybe because of that, you've walked back into the prison. The door is still open. It's fulfilled. The cross has done it 2,000 years ago. He has opened the prison. And then this takes me to the second part of this prophecy that speaks about the great exchange. Not only did he come and he preached good news, not only does he say, I'm gonna get into your life and I'm gonna bind up your brokenness, not only is he proclaiming over us freedom and favor, and not only has he said, I've opened the door, you can walk freely into everything. Don't remain in the prison cell of your brokenness he then comes and he meets us with an incredible exchange. As we exit through this door, this prison door that he's opened, we see three exchanges taking place. First of all, he says, I'll give you a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Now, ashes in the Old Testament was used practically and physically for a season of mourning. What the people did is when they were in a state of mourning, and we also see it when they were mourning because of their sinfulness before God, and God declares a fast, that they would take ashes and they would put it on their foreheads. And they would pale their complexion with it. That's why it says later on, when you fast now, new covenant, wash your face and walk around with ashes because it's fulfilled so why are we still in the ashes? But ashes are considered the very dust. I, I read up a little bit about how they thought about ashes. It's considered the, the worst dust of dust that we trample on with our feet. And they take that and they put it on their heads and they mourn. 
That's what some men do after a bride. They mourn the ashes. So the fire is over and the meat is done. It's just a little side note. It can only work in South Africa. You on that joke won't work back home, sorry. But they walk around with ashes and then Jesus says, no more. And he comes to us and he, by him being the, the living water, he washes those ashes off us. And he cleanses us and he sanctifies us. And he says, I've got something better for you. And then he puts on our head a crown, a diadem, a royal headdress. And when this was said and prophesied and later on fulfilled in Jesus, there were two groups of people that came to mind to the Jewish people when it said a headdress or a diadem. It's with the priest and the kings. And he says, no longer are you just walking around like, oh, here, as I believe Jesus, can I not come from? Afrikaans people will get that. As I myself not can for unmoedig for here, not come laag bij. Says I have given you a headdress, a royal headdress, so that you can start understanding that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Royalty is upon you, and my priesthood is upon you. So start living there. I've exchanged your ashes of mourning and your ah oh, for a victorious. I am royal, and I'm a priest of God. And he said two thousand years back. This is fulfilled. But some of us run away like Jesus, not my head. And we've become comfortable with the ash on our heads. Maybe because you're using it as sunscreen, I don't know. Jesus is standing in front of people this morning. And he's ready for a great exchange. I believe he is. Today, there's a great exchange available. He says, let me wash and wipe off those ashes and put on your headdress. Put on your head the headdress of the kingly royalty that I've called you into and the priesthood that I have for you. 1 Peter 2, you can go and read that. That's what we are called to. The second exchange we see, the oil of gladness for mourning. Now, this is equally profound. Oil, as we know in the Bible, represents the anointing of God. So not only do I put on you the headdress that represents you as a king and as a priest, but then I'm going to anoint you in that position. 1 John 2.25 says there's an abiding anointing resting on every believer of Jesus and follower of Jesus. And he says where there's been drippings of tears, there's going to be a flow of oil. Isn't that profound? He doesn't say like, there's no mourning, and we've, we've dealt with this already over the weeks that we've been in that endurance and hardships and mourning and pain is just so part of life. But you know what's incredible, and I want you to get this this morning, is the oil of gladness. Jesus went before us so that he can do this for us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane means the oil press. And what happened is when he went into the garden of Gethsemane, that moment with the father right before the cross, he was pressed and crushed because he knew what was going to come. And having to go before us so that we don't need to be pressed and crushed. 
And I don't know if you know this about olive oil, but if you take an olive off an olive tree, you can try as hard as you want with your two fingers and you're just gonna get some liquid coming out, but you're not gonna find any oil. Oil only comes out of an olive when it is deeply pressed down and deeply crushed. You can't do it with your own bare hands. You need the right press machinery for it. So the morning that we go through produces in us an anointing to walk in. That's what he says. There's been tears before and you've been in a pressing and a crushing and in a pain, but I'm exchanging that and because you've allowed me to work in you in that season where you needed to stand your ground and get through it, there's an anointing upon you because of that crushing that has come. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Therefore, we can follow. And in the same way today, he's saying, my little anointed ones, I'm anointing you with the very own mourning that you've gone through because you stood your ground. And you are representing my kingdom as a priest and as a king with just bucketfuls of oil of my Holy Spirit upon you. Isn't that amazing? What an exchange. I believe this morning, today, you want to exchange tears with a fresh anointing, saying to you that he has seen how you have been in your Gethsemane, the oil press, so that a great anointing can come. And in the third exchange, he exchanges a garment of praise for a faint spirit or a spirit of heaviness. The word garment there means mantle in the original word. So it's something that goes up on the outside. It covers it's like the very last thing that you put on. And I thought about this. It does feel quite unnatural to sing when you're not feeling right, like you want to sing right. It's, it's quite difficult sometimes. So this is a decision-making one that we can step in or not. See, I'm, I have a mantle available that when your spirit is faint and you don't feel like it, will you wrap yourself in praise? Even if it feels a little bit unnatural, to now open up your mouth and put your hands up like Johan has demonstrated this morning. Because when you do that, there's gonna be another exchange. But this is one that we really have to action. Where we say, God, bring this outer mantle of praise and wrap it around me. And I'm gonna respond by actually singing your praises because then this faint spirit of mine will find an inner strength and stand up. That's the exchange that he has for us. That's why we sing every week, guys. Sometimes you wonder like, oh, another song, another day not a new licky, whatever it might be. Maybe you're not naturally a singer and that's okay, but there's something about the praise of God that wraps around us when our spirits are faint. That's why we've got a worship night tonight so that we can lean in and say, God, we're gonna sing and stand our ground irregardless of what's happening around us. We're gonna be a singing people, a praising people, and our spirits might be faint and weak, but we're gonna be wrapped in this mantle of praise. It requires action. And maybe for you today, that's something that you've got to start doing as a spiritual discipline. That when you feel that faint spirit, and believe me, it is, it is weird sometimes to really feel faint and all by yourself, you just open up your mouth, start singing a song. I found it difficult sometimes. Honestly, I do. I'll be very real. Just, it's me and the Lord. And, and then it might be easy to, easier to just go find a song that kind of works and put it in my ears. But... I might be more quiet. And he says, no, no, use your mouth and praise. Sing it out. Sing it out. When you're here on a Sunday morning, even though you sound like 
you're a vinyl from the year 1920 and, and it's being played on a CD player and it doesn't work, that's okay. Sing it out. It's in that moment that you say, I'm going to live in this mantle. You know what's amazing about that mantle of praise? That's what the world sees. It doesn't see the faint spirit. It doesn't see all the other clothes underneath it. And we've got to become a little bit more colorful to the world out there. Because he's given us the opportunity to exchange our faint spirits with praise. I'm yet to find a wholehearted follower of Jesus who hasn't pushed through for maybe 10 minutes in praising God and not, not felt the breakthrough in the spirit that they needed. Sometimes when I speak to people about temptation, I tell them that the mountain of temptation is only two minutes high. Now that's strange. What do you mean? Like, If you can change your environment for just two minutes, get out the door, take a cold shower, run down the street, eat a hot dog, whatever it requires, but just change your environment for two minutes, you've closed the door on temptation, you've overcome that mountain. And in the same way, I want to say that overcoming your faint spirit is just a couple of minutes of praise away. Where you just lean in and praise God. What would it look like if we teach our children this? Mom, Dad, I've had a bad day at school today. Sorry to hear about that. Tell me about it. Well, this and this and this. How does it make you feel? Well, I don't feel so great. Let's sing. Let's wrap ourselves in a mantle of praise. Three exchanges. Beautiful headdress for ashes, oil of gladness for mourning, and a mantle of praise for a faint spirit. That's what's available to each one, and that's what has already been fulfilled over our lives. And then this idea and this prophetic word on Jesus ends so powerfully. He speaks about the planting of the Lord. When you accept this, when you recognize what I've done, the fullness of my promise that I have proclaimed liberty, I've opened up the door, I've given you an exchange, you will be planted. Planted means established, positioned in a place of permanence, planted by me. So imagine a farmer figuring out where to plant the seed. Because he knows best and he plants it in the right climate and right terroir and everything for that thing to grow. That's what, what God does. He says, when I've come to you like that and you've accepted it and you've taken my fulfillment of this prophetic word, you will be planted. And not just planted, but planted as oaks of righteousness. This is profound. You've got to get where I'm going with this and what the Lord is saying. Oaks of righteousness. That word oak could also be relayed as a ram the main chief of a people, a pillar in the temple. Obviously a tree, but it speaks about anything that is strong and remains standing. So when you understand the fulfillment of what I've done and there's been the exchange, I'm gonna plant you and you're gonna remain standing strong because of what I've done, nothing by you, but because of me and what I have done over your life. And you will be oaks of righteousness. Now let me lean into the oak tree for a minute. There will be a picture of the oak tree. Oak trees are considered some of the strongest trees that ever exist. And I try to figure this out and the Bible speaks about the oak tree quite often. But if you read Psalm 1 in light of this and you read Ezekiel 37 speaks about the river of God and everything. It speaks about a tree that 
that leave, that, that's leave never with us. And this is what I believe is referring to here as well. It, you'll be planted like a tree that in all seasons of life, you'll be green. You'll be looked upon with awe and wonder because God has planted you because the word of God is fulfilled. And then an oak tree, they say, can withstand tornadoes, can withstand hurricanes. It can withstand the most dire, most difficult weather circumstances. And if we see what Jesus has done and we come to him and say, I'm ready for this exchange, and we then say, Lord, plant me wherever you want me to be in life, and he plants us, then we grow into something that will stand amidst the tornadoes, the hurricanes, and the most difficult things in life. And we will be trees planted, righteous oaks, righteous oaks and righteous oaks, <laughs> planted by the Lord to remain standing in every season. There will be green, lush leaves for others to come and find shelter in and as a witness of God's favor over our lives. I remember growing up, I'm going to end with a story. My, my opa on my dad's side, my dad's father, they had an oak tree in the back of their very small yard in a very small home in Bloemfontein. But I remember every December and every other weekend in, in the year that we went there that we always gathered around the oak tree because the oak tree was always ready for us to just sit under it. It was always ready for us to have a braai. It was always ready for us to sit in the shade. Even when it was raining, we hid under that oak tree. It was such a thick oak tree that the leaves were covered so deeply that there was no rain dripping through this tree. And one of my saddest memories as a child growing up is later on when that tree had to be cut down because of the root system that was disturbing the house around it. And that tree eventually then, then died out and was taken out. But that's what God has for us, a place of delight where we can just sit and bask in everything that he has for us, a tree of righteousness, a fullness that he has available for each one of us. So this morning, I want us to think about the application of the word. I don't know if you've taken the 50 rand yet, Maybe you've, you've torn off a corner of it. Maybe there was a moment that you accepted Jesus and started following him, but you didn't quite get the fullness of what is fulfilled. And you've been running this Christian life and maybe been limping along because some of this has not become, become that clear to you. Maybe you feel like you are still contending for that favor. You're still contending for your freedom. This morning I believe Jesus is standing at the, every heart and he says, will you take the 50 rand that I have for you? May we not be, and don't mean this by any means a deformation of character, but like David John who hesitates for a little while and looks at it and wonders, okay, well, should I take it? Should I not take it? Uh, this is every eyes on me. What should I do? Did he say I can take it? Was, is it that clear? I don't know. He's kind of holding on to it. The prison door is wide open and Jesus is running towards us and he's running towards us with an exchange. And I believe this morning he wants to take ash off people's foreheads and give you a new headdress. 
believe some of you have been crying long and deep and painful tears and he wants to bring a fresh anointing to you through that season of being crushed that when you speak about that it becomes life to other people it's amazing when you open your mouth and talk about your own pain how so many people can relate and then sometimes they find hope in the fact that they're not alone in that journey so what we've been saying all along this is a it's a community journey but maybe for you this morning, you've just got to say, God, my, my spirit is faint and I'm going to wrap myself in the mantle of praise. Because I want to be an oak of righteousness planted by you and flourishing in everything that you have for me.